Shall we pray? Open our hearts and minds, O Lord, so we may hear your word to us today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was downhill all the way. It drops half a mile over a distance of about 18 miles. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level, and Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. That's a drop of 3,300 feet. And for the man in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was not only the road that went downhill. Who is he? In Jesus' story, he is a faceless man. It doesn't say a white man or a black man or a rich man or a poor man or a Jew or a Gentile. He's just a man. We don't know where he came from or where he was going. But we do know that the road was notorious for robbers. There were lots of places to hide and a surprise attack was easy. For the man in the story, the day probably started like any other day, but it went downhill very quickly. He got attacked by Roberts, beaten up, and left half dead. The robbers took everything they thought they could get a few bucks for and made sure that he would not be able to come after them, so they left him half dead. Things had been going downhill for Jesus also. He was on his way to Jerusalem knowing what was waiting for him there. He knew that he would be facing humiliation, torture, and death. Now the shortest way to get to Jerusalem was through Samaria. But when he saw, sent his disciples ahead to make arrangements for him to stay there, he was not welcome. He had to make other arrangements. Things went downhill from there. And when he got to Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were waiting for him. They were trying everything they could to catch him in doing something illegal or to discredit him. The story of the Good Samaritan starts with one of them, the teachers of the law, a lawyer. He stood up and asked Jesus, well, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Obviously, he wanted to get a good debate going. He wanted to see if he could catch Jesus in some heresy or at least question his knowledge of the scriptures, particularly the Torah, the first five books of Moses. What do I do, have to do to inherit eternal life, he said. But Jesus turned the question right around back to him and said, you are a teacher of the law. What does the law say about that? But he couldn't very well say, I don't know. That would be admitted that he didn't know the scriptures very well. He answered with a quote from Deuteronomy 1, which every Jewish person knew by heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall know your neighbor as yourself. Well, said Jesus, you've answered right. Do this and you shall live. You know what to do, just do it. The, the lawyer got his answer. 
But he wasn't giving up that easy. He wanted a debate. He wanted to have a conversation about the fine print of the law so that he could show off his knowledge against that of Jesus. And he's ready to ask the next question. Well, if that is what the law says, then who is my neighbor? Let's discuss the fine line between who is my neighbor and who is not. Is it the one in my community, but not the one outside my community? Is it the one who belongs to my religious community, but not the one who belongs to another religion? Is it the one who belongs to my race, but not one in another race or racial background? Is it a Jew, but not the Gentiles? Is it the one who was born in this country, but not the new immigrants? There was lots of room for a good argument. And the lawyer could hardly wait. He had Jesus in a corner. He had led Jesus in a theological and moral minefield. Now let's see how you get your way out of that, Jesus. But Jesus isn't interested in getting a theological or a moral debate. He answers by telling a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and he went away leaving him half dead. Now, I'm sure that by now, the man on the road would have cried out, God, help me. Isn't that what everyone does? You may not believe in God, you may never go to church, but when it's a matter of life and death, everyone cries out to God, God, please help me. And then he looks up and he sees a priest. Well, that was a quick answer to prayer. He prays for help and God sends him a priest. This couldn't be better. A priest is a direct descendant from Aaron, the brother of Moses, a member of the highest class in society. The priest was in charge of the temple services. They interpreted the laws of Moses to the people. They were the judges. And when a dispute had to be settled, they were there. That couldn't be better. The priest would surely help him. He might even use the wounded man as an illustration in his sermon one day when he preached about the loving your neighbor. The prayers of the man laying by the road were surely answered. But as we know, the priest walked by on the other side of the road. He didn't help. Why not? Was he a bad person? Was he such a hypocrite that he would talk about compassion on the Sabbath, but in real life he couldn't care less? Jesus doesn't give us any clue about what, why the priest did not want to help the man. But the teacher of the law would know the position that the priest was in. He was a lawyer himself. And he would know the legal web of rules and regulation the priest was tangled up in. He would know that as a priest, he was not allowed to touch a Gentile because Gentiles were unclean. And if he touched them, he would be unclean too. And then he would not be allowed to do his job in the temple. So how could he be sure that this man was not a Gentile? And as a priest, he was not allowed to touch a dead person either. If he touched this man, he would almost certainly be unclean. Not only would he not be able to do the service in the temple, 
he would have to go through all kinds of cleaning rituals to make him clean again and be able to do his work as a priest. Even if he wanted to help, the laws made it very difficult, if not impossible. If he did help, he could be in all kinds of trouble. The priest must have decided that it just wasn't worth it. He may have even said a short prayer for the man and prayed that someone else would come along and help him, but it wasn't worth for him to get involved. There's a car on the side of the road with his flashers on. What do you do? Stop and see if you can help? Or do you consider the implications? Do you consider the risk involved? What if it is a trap? Someone who's out to take advantage of you. What if they have mechanical problems? You're not a mechanic, far from it. What if they have a medical problem and you try to help, but you do the wrong thing? That would only make it worse. You could be sued. You better not get involved. And as a result, you drive on, hoping that someone else will help. Maybe a police car will come by. Maybe someone will call the CAA. I put my foot on the gas and I drive by. I was right, wasn't I? It was too risky to get involved. The second person who comes along is a Levite. He belongs to the people who work in the temple. They are the ones who help the priests in their work. He is not as high up on the social scale as the priest, but he's still highly regarded in society. He is a member of the tribe of Levi, and they had special status. After Moses had been on the mountain for 40 days to receive the Ten Commandments from God, the people got restless. They couldn't see God, and they thought they had lost Moses. They wanted a God they could see, and they made a golden calf, and they worshipped it. And when Moses came down, he was furious. He gave them a choice, and he asked them, make up your minds. Who are you going to serve, an idol, a golden calf, or God? And he asked the ones who wanted to serve God to step forward. And the people of the tribe of Levi stepped forward. And because of that, they were assigned to help the priests in the temple. They were given cities spread throughout the country to live in. I imagine that the person laying by the road is thinking, well, God has answered my prayer after all, a Levite. They are the helpers. He surely will help me. But the Levite also crossed the road on the other side and passed by. Stopping to help would be too risky. The same rules that apply to the priest also apply to him. I hope someone will help this poor guy. He should have known better than to walk on the road alone. He knew it was dangerous. Poor guy. I wish him all the best. God be with him. I will pray for him. But he passed by on the other side. Now, I don't know it, but this, by this time, I imagine that the man is ready to make a bargain with God. God, if you help me, I will give you 10% of all I own. God, if you help me, I will come to church every week. If you help me, I will join the board of managers. I will do whatever you want, but God, please help me, I'm, I'm dying. The Lord, the lawyer, listened to the story, and he will be thinking by now, I wonder where Jesus is going with this started with a priest, then a Levite. 
he could see that Jesus was working down the social scale. Who would be coming next? An ordinary Jewish person, a merchant, a farmer, a peasant. He was waiting for the story to continue. And then Jesus drops the bomb. A Samaritan who was on his journey came by and when he came to the place and saw the wounded man, he, had to, he felt compassion. Jesus had to do that, didn't he? Of all the people he could pick, he had to pick a Samaritan. If there was any group in, of people the Jews hated, it was the Samaritans. And it was the reciprocal. The Samaritans hated the Jews also. The Samaritans were a mixed race. They were not pure Jews. They did follow the laws of Moses, the Torah, but they did not worship in Jerusalem. Instead, they had their own place of worship in Mount Gerasim. The Samaritans were descendants from Jewish people who had stayed behind when the kingdom had fallen in the hands of the Assyrians and the people had been taken into exile. But some of them were allowed to stay behind to work the land so that it would not go to waste. And to keep an eye on them, some Assyrians were sent to Israel. And the imported Syrians, Assyrians and the left-behind Jews intermarried, and as a result, it was a mixed race that was half Israelite and half Assyrian. And the Samaritans were descendants of this mixed race. And when the Israelites came back from exile and started to rebuild Jerusalem, the Samaritans tried to stop them, and they've been enemies ever since. They couldn't stand each other. They were like the Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland some time ago. They were like the different Muslim groups in Iraq, like Jewish people and Palestinians, like the warring tribes in Africa. They couldn't stand each other and the best thing for them to do was to stay away from each other as far as possible. And Jesus had to pick a Samaritan for his story. For the people of Israel, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan, they were all bad. And Jesus had to pick a Samaritan for his story about who is my neighbor. And the Samaritan, well, he saw a human being in trouble. He saw someone who needed help and he had compassion. He didn't think of all the excuses why he shouldn't help. He didn't consider the risk. It didn't cross his mind that he was in the land of the enemy. All he saw was someone who was in trouble and he had compassion. I can just see the wounded man say to himself, oh no, not one of them. Now I've had it for sure. Dear God, is this your idea of helping to send me an arch enemy? The Samaritans were focused on one thing, a fellow human being who was in trouble. All he could think of was, what can I do? I'm not a doctor, but I have some wine and oil I can use to clean his wounds. I can't carry him, but I have a donkey. I can't look after him, but there is an inn a short distance away from him. I can bring him there. I can't stay with him, but I can pay for a room for him, so we'll have time to recover. And he's on his knees beside the man. He cleans his wounds with oil and wine. He takes what he has and makes it into a bandage. He covers the wounds, lifts them up on his donkey, and is on his way to the nearest inn. There he puts him into bed. 
He stays with him during the night, and the next morning he gives the innkeeper two days' wages to pay for the room, and he tells the innkeeper, if that's not enough, then put any extra expenses on my bill. I imagine that by now the lawyer is cringing. He can guess what's coming. This is about who is my neighbor, right? He can just imagine what Jesus is going to say next. And sure enough, Jesus says to him, which one do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? What could he say? He could have said the Samaritan, but he would never mention the name of those people they hated. He could have said the third one, but then he would be ranking all three. This was a matter of having mercy towards a fellow human being, so he says, the one who showed mercy on him. Now the word mercy in Greek is a word that is normally associated with God. The teacher of the law got the picture. But Jesus has one more thing to say to him, go and do likewise. This is not a theological debate, not a matter of rules and regulations, not a risk assessment, not a game of questions and answers. It's a matter of how to live. It's about living together as human beings the way God wants us to be. Now, did you notice that Jesus has done something else? If the lawyer was smart, and I'm sure he was, he would have noticed that Jesus had changed the question on him. The lawyer had asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? But Jesus said to him, that's not the right question. The right question is, who is a neighbor to the one who fell in the hands of the robbers? That's the right question. This is not a debate about who is and who is not my neighbor. It's about who can I be a neighbor to? What can I do to help someone in need? That's the right question. Look around you and ask, who is my neighbor? Do not ask who is my neighbor and who is not. Ask yourself, who can I be my neighbor to? Where can I help? I came around a story in a Dutch book some time ago during the war. The Allies would fly across Holland and drop parachuters during the night. And they landed in farmer's field and then quickly would scramble to safety before the Germans could catch them. One night, a farmer was watching out of the window and he noticed that one of the Allied soldiers was not getting up. He had fallen and he'd broken his leg and he couldn't move. If he stayed there any longer, the Germans would surely get him. If the farmer went out to help him, they would both be at risk. Yet he did go out, and he did help the soldier. He carried him to his house, and he looked after him. And after the war, during an interview, he was asked, why did you do this? Did he not realize how risky this was? And his answer was, yes, you're right. And I wished that he hadn't landed in my field. I wished that he had landed somewhere else. But since he did land in my field, he had become my neighbor and I had to be a neighbor to him. When I was at Graceview, one of our elders was very involved in the, in the food bank. She spent most of her days there. So we decided that we could be a neighbor to the people using the food bank. And one of our members of the congregation was a teacher. She was Ukrainian and could not get a job in Ontario. So she took a job with native people in northern Quebec. 
as he told us of the conditions there. And we decided that we could be a neighbor to the children in our school and provide them with supplies and teaching materials. We did that for the 10 years that she was there. And one year, our family joined the mission committee on a trip to Malawi, the poorest country in the world. There we saw how other people lived. And we asked ourselves, how can we be a neighbor to the people in Blantyre, Malawi? The right question, says Jesus, is not who is my neighbor and who is not. The right question is, who can I be a neighbor to as individuals and as a church? If we prayerfully consider this, and I'm sure that God will show us, some opportunities may land right in our backyard, or God will show us opportunities in other parts of the country or in the world. When we ask ourselves the question, who can we be a neighbor to? God will show us. The Jewish lawyer got the picture, and I'm sure that we get the picture. And there's one more thing, says Jesus. After the telling the story of the Good Samaritan, he says this, go and do likewise. To God be the glory. Amen.